Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, with his awesome, cool Ember Cup. Talk a little bit about that. Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. That's uh, it's been a good little thing to implement. A little slower starts to the morning for me. I uh, I like key. I don't like being bound to my you know your twenty minutes of hot coffee. So for Christmas, my my parents got me a little Ember mug. It keeps my coffee at a 140 degrees crispy for at least two hours and uh it's been good because now i can just sip on it and not worry about anything else as opposed to me without the ember mug has already drank in three cups because they started to get cold and i just pound it that's a good way to limit your (laughs) caffeine intake too i mean if you're into that sort of thing boo (laughs) uh today we're going to be talking about how to have a work-life balance i know it's something that both me and Alex struggle with, <laughs> and it's not, it's not that we are the experts on this, but this, it's just something we've been thinking about recently and something we want to kind of throw into the ether, into the universe and how right. we try to manage that as well as some things that we've learned along the way, uh, through school, through sport, through living, through work, all these different yeah. things. No, so Alex. Think, yeah. I think it's a universal struggle that like everybody's going through, right? Is how do you figure out your schedule and balance what you're doing when you're doing it, when you're having time off. Um, but I think, like you said, being a student athlete, you're always go, 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 right? You're, you have stuff to do every minute, every day, whether it's practice, school, and various um, volunteering or, or anything that you have that goes along with that because there are those extracurricular requirements. And then for me, when I went into having a job after my athletic career and then into grad school while having a job and then internships, and it doesn't stop, right? It doesn't stop with, I mean, if you're ambitious and you want to keep going, there's always work to be done. But that's oftentimes not the most beneficial way to move forward. Like, yes, you're constantly getting things done, but you're drawn out. You're missing out on, on some other things. You're not rejuvenating. Maybe your quality of work is suffering. Um, so, I, I mean, again, something that everybody works on. And I think everybody likes like self-help has to be the number one um, book selling genre nowadays by a large margin. Yeah. Right. And I think everybody looks at that. But, yeah, we just want to kind of air it out because that's something that Austin and I struggle with, especially over the holidays when we were trying to work and trying to, you know, not take a break. But I mean, in all honesty, I think it was a lot healthier for us to stop and, you know, not record or not do any work and go home for a week. Right. And a lot, a lot of your, I guess, work-life balance comes down to scheduling, which is something I am so bad at. <laughs> um, something I learned through like Cairo school, like when, when you get to Cairo school, everybody jokes that like, you're basically getting a doctorate in time management because like it, the thing is, if you typically the people that pursue a doctorate degree or have, have the intellect to be there. Most of the times you're not going to get into the program without having the intellect to get through the material, if you will. But the thing that fucks people up is the time management of the 34 credit hours in one quarter. And then on top of that, if you choose to take like, like me did the sports masters at the same time, that's another nine credit hours a quarter. And then I also worked, I was the head of performance at a MMA gym and as well as the wrestling coach at an MMA gym. So it's one of those things like, you need to schedule the better your scheduling is like when I was doing all that shit, that was when I was the most in tune with trying to be successful because I didn't like, I, I personally, for me, I need to be go, go, go. If I'm not go, 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 my stupid ass is going to relax and sit on the couch and not want to talk to anybody at all. Like I don't want to do anything. So for me, a work life balance is if I'm working, I'm going a thousand miles a minute. 
I don't stop. But when I'm not working, when I'm relaxing, I need to be completely cut out. I'm that all gas, no brakes or all brakes, no gas type of person. There's a lot of people that can meter in the middle and they can do that like low grade kind of like 50% and they can get away with that for a long duration. But for me personally, I need to be all gas, no brakes or all brakes, no gas in order to get through and to succeed in what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I operated that way for a long time. Whereas like if I get home and I have nothing planned, I'm just going to, you know, zone out, play video games, read books, do, you know, things that just free your mind or there's no stress involved. Um, but recently I've kind of had a revelation. Like if I spend too much time doing that stuff, especially with the quarantine lockdown and COVID altered hours and everything like that, if I spend too much time trying to detach or that's all I do for my free time that I'm not working, I don't feel fulfilled in that. I feel like I'm just constantly you know, bogged down or it's like, here, let me go waste time again. Um, so what I've started to do in my mind is I've kind of split up my quote unquote free time into, you know, like, act, like I call it rejuvenation. So it's like active things that I can do that make me feel good, but are not stressful, like going snowboarding, taking the dogs on a walk, um, just doing active things that are quote unquote productive or fun that still help me feel rested that aren't only, you know, sitting on the couch, detaching, there's time and place for sitting on the couch and, you know, taking an hour or two to not think hard about anything. But if I spend all of my free time like that, then I, I don't feel good personally about myself. I agree. <laughs> no, um, but, but no, 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 no. I, I was just trying, trying to be funny, fell on my face. Um, but I, I completely agree, dude. Like when I say detaching, when I'm, I mean like all breaks, it's, I'm either a hundred percent on like, since I, I have my own clinic on the company's time, mm-hmm. like when I'm on the company's time, I am all gas. Like I'm working, yeah. working, working when I'm on my time, it's about me. So like I say, detach something I've, I've recently, I went Frisbee golfing with my brother again. I haven't Frisbee golfed in a long time. Yeah. To me, that's detaching. I'm out Absolutely. in nature. Yeah. I'm walking around, I'm throwing a disc, I'm having fun, but that's mm-hmm. my me time. I don't need to, I don't need to force. My biggest thing personally is forced socialization. Yeah. Like in, in all honesty, like yeah. I'm an ex I'm an extrovert when I need to be, I feel like every good business owner has to be, you got to be able to be an extrovert. Yep. But, but when I'm on my time, I prefer to be an introvert and I prefer to be with, with my fiance or just even just by myself thinking about my own thoughts. And that like, for me, that's what I mean by all breaks. Yeah. So like, it doesn't have to be sitting on a couch watching TV while I do thoroughly enjoy that. It's, <laughs> it's just limiting the, the, the forced socialization. That's what I'm that, that for me is my breaks. No. Yeah. And I think that's a huge point to, to bring up too, because I think a lot of people in the, the, you know, when I started, it was the fitness profession or just in, you know, uh, healthcare or, or client management in general. Um, you do have to almost force yourself to be extroverted. And like, that's great. If that's your default personality, if that's what you like to do, you love to talk to people and, and get their ideas on life and start to know them. And for me personally, I like that to a very small extent. Um, <laughs> that was something I had to learn like on a hard curve. My very first uh, personal training job or fitness coach, whatever you want to call it. It was like I, by nature and throughout my whole career, wrestling career and in my academics growing up, I was very introverted. Like I was not interested in what you were doing. I had my own mission that I was on and I don't want to spend time talking to you because you know that's less interesting and and i I've grown from that. <laughs> right sounds awful right but i I've don't grown, disagree though i've grown from that but like 
I still want to sit in my quiet space, you know, have a cup of coffee that I can enjoy for two hours now with my new Ember mug. Um, Ember sponsor us. <laughs> but no, like I love quiet. Like that is my number one kind of escape or my go-to. Like if I can sit in a room, you know, with a cup of coffee or with, with a book or something and there's no noise going on, like that's my me time, right? So um, loving that and being that way for a long time does not gel with getting to know clients and um, doing my best to serve them. So I, I almost had to force myself to be an extrovert when I was on the floor, which I've seen a lot of benefit from. And now I love talking to people, getting to know them for a certain amount of time per week. I, I can't do that. That's not my social life. Like, yeah, um, yeah. so, and, and it's just my personality, but um, learning that skill as a coach, as a uh, healthcare provider, as a strength and conditioning coach is invaluable. You know, a lot of times for me, it's more important that I impact somebody's life socially and that we, you know, hit a chord and, and I can make that difference or we can just uh, bond over some mutual experience. That's a lot more important in my position currently than maybe the physical effect that we get from a workout. You know, how can I help these high schoolers mature? How can the, you know, we find some commonality and, and genuinely have a great time while we're training and create a great relationship with the training floor and the, the workout. That is a huge influence on a high schooler's training future, almost more than do this exercise. Okay. We should do a landmine rather than overhead. Like that is a little more marginal than having a great rapport with your clients. Well, and fucking, I can, I can literally like breathe on a high schooler and they're going to have a training adaptation. There's so much fucking testosterone flowing through them. Like, Amen, yeah. At, at the end of the day, like working with high school, you're a thousand percent correct. Mike. I fucking love that you brought up the point working with high schoolers. It's about making them love being in the weight room, because if they're going to go to the next level, they're going to have a lot of time in the weight room in college. So they better yeah. fucking like it. And it might not be fun when it's in college, when you get a collegiate strength coach breathing down your neck, do more weight, go harder. You're not working hard. You're stealing the college's money. You're here on scholarship. Like that's not quote unquote fun. So, nope. um, but if training something that the high schoolers identified with, or like, like me, that's something that I saw myself being good at and that I love to do. The weight room was my shit, right? You get to come in there and you get to know what you're doing. So it's like, that's a, a better attitude. And I think that's going to elicit a lot more training effects or benefits than, you know, I have to go do this thing right now. Well, and, and for high schoolers in general, that's probably their first impression of the of what a weight yeah, absolutely. for the most part. Right. It's just like, like mm -hmm. you're meeting a pretty girl for the first time. You got one good first impression. Yeah. If you don't have that first impression, she might not want to talk to you ever again. Yeah. It's the same thing with the, with the high schoolers in the weight room. You want to make a good first impression because first impressions last. If you can be that good first impression, they're going to like the weight room a lot more than if they, you walked in and you're kind of being a dick and you don't want to talk to them and like that forced socialization type atmosphere. No. And I feel like for me personally, that was, that's been my role, you know, since I started, I started at a, uh, at a, you know, personal training fat loss gym where our niche, our clientele were people that had never been to a gym before. Right. We got people that were out of their comfort zone and we made this environment approachable and, um, and a safe space for them. And then that's a community that they could grow into and love. And that was my first position in the quote unquote fitness industry. And then I go into the Olympic side of sport in college when I, you know, I'm training a diving team. I'm training, you know, lacrosse players, sports that aren't typically associated with the weight room. And, you know, and, and I want to say it too, a lot of female athletes that aren't typically affluent in the weight room. As I work with them, we want to create a better environment, not one where I'm just yelling out sets and reps or trying to, yeah. 
you know, hammer them with stuff. We want to create an environment where it's fun. They enjoy being there. It's a training atmosphere and environment. I think that's one of the most, I won't say overlooked, but one of the most underutilized effects that a coach can have in the weight room is creating that atmosphere and that um, environment. Well, and that's perfect to go into like they, like consistency is such a big thing, right? We talk about consistent consistency is the number one thing in a training program that is what makes the differences. So if you can make that good environment, if you can, if you can love your job and you can make those athletes love their job, Mm -hmm. then that consistency is only going to go up because if they're not dreading going to the weight room in a college practice at 6am, like I know I used to, then like they're, if they're not dreading that training then they're going to thrive. If they're going to thrive, guess what? If they have a good experience, they're going to come back again. And you get that consistency, that negative, it's a negative feedback loop instead of a positive feedback loop, but it's a good thing. But yeah, somewhere people want to be, but, and one of the things that I, one of the effects that I was almost surprised by in my master's program is that athletes almost by default will rise or fall to the expectations that they perceive a coach has for them. Yep. So, you know, if I'm working with my diving team and, you know, it's not football and it's not a team I want to work with, blah, 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 which was never the case. But if, if that was my disposition and they read that off of me and they're like, he doesn't ever want to be here with us. You know, he doesn't think we're ever going to, you know, get better in the weight room, blah, blah, blah. Then they're probably not going to get better in the weight room and they're not going to perform and not want to be there. Right. So a hundred percent, you're, you're an exemplar, you're kind of, the moral energy that they feed off. Well, and so real world application for me, like I recently, I haven't brought it up on the podcast yet, but we, me and two others, uh, the, the guy I rent from the physical therapist, Jeff Barron, and then Frankie Tardy, we were taking over as the the care, the healthcare for Altus, which is an mm-hmm. Olympic running, an Olympic running place and a speed coach place. And it's all these different things. If you know me in real life, you know that I fucking hate running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, you used to do cross country though. I did. And I was really, I, I, I'm good at running. I just, I'm not a fan. Like that's, <laughs> that's not my thing. Granted it's yeah. different with, it's different with sprinters because these guys look like gazelles, but it's one of those things. Like if I go over there and I project that, like, Oh, I don't want to fucking be here. Like, I don't care about running. Then they're not like, that's going to hinder my a relationship with them, but b them thinking they're getting better because a yeah. lot of a health, a lot of healthcare scenarios are based around the positive relationship between the healthcare practitioner and the patient. That's why that's, that's how like legitimately, I don't say this to be mean, but like shitty doctors get good results because they're good at talking. We know a lot of the recovery process is just finding a genuine bond with somebody and being able to play off of that bond. And hopefully that person's doing the right things that also exaggerates the response that you're getting. But a lot of the like the social factors that play into pain can be helped with just having a good relationship with one person or the other. So oh, bringing man. it back to I'm well, sorry. just bringing it back to no, just bringing it back to the runners. Like while while I don't personally like running myself, I am so fucking pumped to be working with these absolute savage of athletes. Like they're so good at running, That's they're cool. so passionate about it, and you have to bring that in to what you're doing. Like I'm so passionate about working with them because they're so passionate about getting to their goals. And that's for me, that's bringing it back to work-life balance. That's how I don't personally ever feel. I don't ever feel overworked really, because I believe I was put on this earth to do exactly what I was, uh, what I'm fucking doing right now, working with high level athletes, giving them that extra 2% that gets them a bigger paycheck that gets them to provide for their family. 
And the best way for me to not feel burnt out is to see the passion in these athletes eyes. When I'm working, when I went over to Arltis and I'm working with Olympic sprinters, like they're so passionate about just shaving off 0.001 on their time. Literally that blows my mind. And same thing with the fighters, like bringing it to combat sports and building a fighter. It's no surprise that combat sports are a grind. If you're a, there's not a lot of money in them and it's a lot of fucking work. They're the, Mm -hmm. they're the least paid and the most trained individuals in all of professional sports. Absolutely. But the reason, again, why I'm so like, I don't get paid a whole bunch to work with my, my fighters. Like I, I don't compared to if I was working with football players or baseball players, whatever it may be, but I'm so fucking passionate about it because I see the passion in Henry Corrales's eyes when he comes into the clinic and we have a good talk about him dropping to 35, he's going to take the Bellator belt. And I see that fire in his eyes. That's what gives me fire. That's what makes me never, I never feel burnt out because of the just genuine, I guess, I mean, fire is the perfect word, the genuine fire, the genuine drive in with these athletes. So like that for me personally, I, I I never get, I really never feel overworked, even though that work-life balance, I'm working a lot more than I have a life. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's a function, a function of being young and having a budding business. But um, I think that passion that is, you know, 100%, it's a double edged sword, right? There's, there's two ends to it. But I think, like you said, when you're working in a high performance, and somebody's pursuing, you know, their personal best, and, and that's what I think a lot of coaches get in common with athletes is they um, bond over the passion of wanting to be the best, right? If, if this athlete has X goal to be world champion or UFC champion, they are going to totally understand that I have a personal goal to be the best strength coach in America or in the world, right? Like that that's a chord that you can always strike within that high performance setting with those athletes because they have their their goal and it's only natural that I have my ambition and my goal. It would almost probably be a, a negative thing if I didn't, if I was, yep. you know, apathetic and, and kind of, yeah, I'm here and this is my job, blah, blah, blah. But right. um, so I think that's a chord that you strike that is completely reasonable and um, very common with high performance athletes, but passion as a, as kind of your foundation and your rock, like what you're saying is great. Like it's what you were put on the earth to do and you feel fired up every time that you go into it or probably not every time that you go into the office, but, um, every time that you get to go to work. No, not, but yeah, it's, it, you're right though. You're laughing. Not every time. And there's right. some days I, I, there's some days I drag. There's some yeah. days that I need that extra mm. cup of coffee. I need human. that external yeah. stimulus. Yeah. I need that external stimulus, but I know where you're going with this, where passion can also be the double-edged sword. Da, da, yeah. da, da, da. You're going to hurt yourself too. You're going to overwork yourself, but just to cut that off at the head, like, how do you, how do you become special? Like, I don't, I don't want to be average. I know you don't want to be average and I don't want to work with people that want to be average. Yeah. The only, the only way to be special is to do special things. Yeah. And and I think, I think in a, a exuberant or a over the top work ethic is one way to get there. And I think putting in the hours to research and get better. And like, that's the stuff that we've done, but I think at the same time, as you get older, your priorities shift and, yeah. and I'm noticing in my life, you know, I almost, uh, I guess I did when I was at the UFC, I turned down a second term on my internship. I turned down an opportunity to stay there because I was living 400 miles away from my fiance at the time. I was not having a good personal life balance with that. And I valued my family over that professional pursuit, which again, cost, uh, I have no doubt cost me in the long run. And working in high performance, but 
at the same time, I'm super happy where my family's at right now. And I, I love where this is. So that's a cross that I have to bear. Right. Well, and so I actually had this talk recently with my fiance and that I, people that know me know that I'm very hyperbolic and I say things that are uh, absolutes sometimes to get my point across. And then um, you argue them just to win the argument. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. So that. it was one of those things. It was one of those times um, where I, I brought up to Lisa and I'm just, and just blatantly, I, uh, we were having to talk about like wanting to be special. Like, cause I've always thought mm-hmm. my whole life, like I'm not ordinary. I like, I want to do big things. I want to change combat sports. I want to change how these fighters are cared for and trained and eat and all these different things, because there's a huge opportunity to make this the biggest sport in the world. Yeah. And I think that we can do that and I, not no bullshit. And I just personally, I, I, f- I don't fuck with people that don't want to be special. And I said, I just, I just don't respect it. Yeah. But that also brings down, not everybody has to be special in a, pr- in a professional pursuit, just because like, what I mean by that, when I say, I don't fuck with people that don't want to be special. I just don't, re- I don't respect them is you can be special as a dad. You can be special as a family, man. You could be the best dad that you can be. That's still being special. You're changing your kids' lives. Mm-hmm. You can be the best family man you can be. That's respectable as fuck. Not everybody has to be special in the professional setting, but if you're not striving every day to be the best thing that you can be towards your goals, that's very frustrating. You're just, you're wasting things. No, I get that. And I think, I think that's where you and I hit a chord. You know, I, we've had this conversation before too, where it's like, I, I had this realization and I mean, I held on to the, I feel like I held on to this and it was kind of my ego at work, but I held onto this idea that like, you know, I'm going to be written about in history books. Or I'm going to be written about in, you know, exercise science and like, I'm going to have my name out there as making a difference in in this community. And I, you know, I, and recently I would say within the last year and a half or two years, I've, I've let go of that. You know, that's no longer my drive because I want to be the best Alex that I can be. I want to be the best, you know, husband. I want to be the best potential father and way down the road. That's, that was heavy to say, but I want to be the best, you know, <laughs> person that I can be as well as the best strength coach. I no longer exclusively identify as a strength coach, which I think that's a common, another common thread that you can hit with your athletes. You know, a lot of the times when you get into these high level pursuits, your identity becomes what you do, right? You, I strictly identify, you know, when I was in college, like I'm a wrestler period. That's who I am. That's what I do, you know? And then, and then for the next four or five years, when I was doing unpaid internships and getting a master's degree, as well as putting eight, 80 hours in the gym a week, it's like, I am a strength coach. You know, I love this, blah, blah, blah. No longer. It's like, I want to be the best Alex can be. I wake up every day. It's like, what's the best beneficial thing for me to do today? What can I do to make myself better? And I think that's where my work-life balance has shifted is it's not, what can I be do? What can I do to be the best strength coach? It's like, what can I do to be the best me who is also a strength coach? And I think that's shifted a, a minor bit in perspective, but it's been a huge outcome of actually being here with my wife, actually enjoying something or taking some time to enjoy hobbies. Like I, I started skateboarding six months ago, which is, you know, on the fringes and very possibly not beneficial for any other professional skill that I have. Yeah. But I love learning and I love getting better at a specific pursuit. And it's been really fun from the beginning of not being able to do an ollie to now I can hit a posh of it like nothing. So it's like, you're just saying words, bro. That's good. That's good. Somebody that skateboards <laughs> will, will know. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. That's where my perspective is shift. And I feel like my work life balance is, is better than it has been. And I mean, COVID has thrown a recall in that and you've always had to keep adjusting, but I've, I've made peace with, um, I guess giving up on that 
exclusively high-end uh, professional goal. Yeah. And that's... That, we don't agree this, on that. We don't yeah, agree we've had on, this talk. That. Yeah, we've had that talk. And I, I, I won't get into that too far because I'm the opposite. And I, yeah. like, I'm going to be a great dad. I'm going to be a great... I'm going to be a great family man. But, like, I have things that I need to get done. I I'm, I'm going to be in a history book someday. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's just one of those things. Like it's, it's, I need, I know what I need to do to get there. It's like, I, I close my eyes and I see the plan and it just takes a lot of fucking work. And it takes a lot of like, as long as I'm it, the, but the thing is to, to pivot real quick before bringing it back. Like I also understand that if I wake up one day and I don't have the same passion anymore, then the plan switches. Yeah. <laughs> like if that passion goes away, if that passion dies down for more than three or four months at a time, like the, the plan switches. If I have my first kid and I'm like, fuck this, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be the best dad. Fuck this. I'm working 30 hours a week, which luckily I'm at the Liberty to do like then and, and make decent money. Like then fuck it. Yeah. But I, it's, it's one of those things like you have to balance to bring it back full circle to the, the goal. You have to balance your work life balance based around the goals that you have for yourself. Yeah. And your own personality too. Like, right. Like if, if one of, if one of my fighters was like, well, I want to really work on work-life balance, but I also want to be a UFC champ. Well, guess what? That's mm-hmm. those, th- those two things probably aren't going to happen. Yeah. Like I've seen, I've seen what it takes, like the amount of, like I've seen Henry Cejudo and the amount of commitment it took to even just at the end, after he had the fucking titles to, to beat yeah. Dominic or to beat Dominic, like yeah. that man only for eight weeks in a row, only thought about one person himself. Well, <laughs> and, and I get that too. I think work-life balance is relative, right? I think that's the the point right. that we've been dancing around. You know, yeah. it's relative to what is beneficial for you, right? Like Henry Sudo, like his work-life balance ex- was exclusively work for a long time. And like, yep. again, he reaped shit ton of rewards and he was the best in the world for a while Ed, and whatever, but that's not gonna work for me. Like that's no, not, exactly. that, you know, it, it was my life for a while. Like, uh, I'm not going to lie. Like there was, there were times that I exclusively thought about being the wrestlers, best wrestler I could be, or I exclusively thought about the best strength coach that I could be. Um, but now there's other things on my radar and you're on my radar and your priorities shift. Right. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, you're not trying to be a UFC champ. Yeah. It's you have to, y- your goal is to be the best Alex you can be. That's your goal. So your work-life balance is based around that. If skateboarding makes you a better Alex, guess what? That's what you should be doing. If going to the, if going, putting an extra two hours online at a continuing education course makes you a better Alex, that's the best thing you can do. But if your goal is to be a Pan Am champ, sorry, coffee. Uh, If your goal is to be a Pan Am champ, if your goal is to be a UFC champ, if your goal is to be a black belt, then you have to line up your work-life balance along with your goals. Because if you, if you want to be the best dad ever, but also are trying to get into the UFC and be a UFC champ. You can do both of those things, but it would be a, it's going to be really fucking hard. And one of them is going to suffer. You, you can't be a hundred percent in one thing and also be a hundred percent in another thing. You only get a hundred percent. And I think that's where, you know, burnout happens or that's where, you know, passion can bite you in the ass is when you're trying yeah. to be everywhere, trying to do everything. And, um, and that's when you get overdrawn and then not even from a factor of, I mean, yes, your personal life may suffer and your own mental health will suffer because of that. But if we exclude that argument for a second, you're going to be worse at both of those things. If you're trying to be everywhere all the time and you're strung out and you're not going to be 100%, you're not going to be necessarily getting better at being a UFC champ. And then when you're at home, you're going to feel guilty about not training 100% hard and you're not going to be the best dad you can be, right? So Mm -hmm. there's that prioritization and then there's that 
realistic alignment of behaviors and goals. And I think, I mean, that's really, I think, sterile way to talk about it, but that's what it is, right? Yeah. Well, and it, it comes down to being confident and being able to like sit down with yourself and actually self-assess your goals. Yeah. Right. I mean, if, if, if you don't know, if you aren't honest with yourself and you aren't honest with what your goals are supposed to be, like, then you're never going to understand where you should, where you should put the eggs into what baskets. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a hundred percent accurate. And, and I do want to kind of justify and defend myself. It's not like I've given up on being good at being a strength coach or given up on any of that stuff. Like I wouldn't be doing this with Austin and, and honor building a fighter mission if I didn't want to, you know, change the way that combat sports healthcare is done. I still want to be a fucking great strength coach and a great influential person in the high performance realm. It's just, that's not my exclusive goal. Um, and I think that's realistic for a lot of uh, professional out there, professionals out there. I mean, when you're young, it's hard to see it because you do have to grind and you have to get your name out there and you have to work like that. And I, I still need to do that to an extent, but I realize that's a small portion of my professional priority. That is not my professional priority is not my exclusive goal. Right. So, right. My, well, I was just gonna say my biggest, my biggest frustration with people right now are the people that don't recognize what you said, because the big thing right now is work-life balance, right? There's a huge swing back. It used to be like, Oh, like everybody needs to be 50 cent. Everybody needs to be P Diddy. All the, uh, all the guys that like work nonstop. They talk yeah. about like Jay-Z, they're hustlers. They just don't, don't stop working. Yeah. And now we've swung all the way to the other side where like, Oh, I'm going to have an extremely healthy life balance. And I'm also going to be the number one person in my field. Right. The people that don't realize that you also have to grind are my least favorite people on this earth. Right. <laughs> no, like, I, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Like you, it's, it is one thing to have a healthy life balance and that's, and that is awesome. But if you have professional aspirations where you, you want to be the best at something, you also have to realize that there's no free lunches. It's just, it's an economic concept. Yeah. You also have to sacrifice something to get there. Just like in combat sports, like if you want to make weight, you're going to sacrifice that last, that last day of the water cut. Mm -hmm. Your whole day sucks. You hate yourself a lot, but you make the weight, you get paid, and then you go out and perform. Right. It is the exact same thing with this. You have to grind. If you want to be the best at something, you have to grind. But that means that you also, when you get somewhere, you have to realize you're at the top of the mountain. You can't just keep grinding. That's the unhealthy part of the work-life balance. Yeah. I think adding that awareness piece is, is huge because the more you're aware of how much you're working, the more you're aware of where you're at and where you've come. I think that will double down and make your next moves more beneficial. You know, I think um, as long as we keep going on this track, like right now for me in my life, I don't need to make the same decisions that I made my first year out of undergrad. Like I, I'm, I'm beyond that. And I have a better knowledge base to where I don't need to sign up for every continued education. I don't need to try <laughs> like that's a whole nother, you know, tangent to go on is the continuing education field in fitness, which I think is so bullshit, but we'll do, we'll do another podcast on that. That's too <sighs> yeah, long. Man. Yeah. Um, but which is funny need... that we're jumping into the continuing education. I, I know, I know, <laughs> but, but we're changing it. We're doing it different. We're not, we're not going to feed into the monster that is just a money pit, but yeah. I don't need to make those decisions because I more um, realized where I am. I am more comfortable with my knowledge base and what I And again, there's got to be a level of self-esteem or cockiness to it because, you know, I have put in the work and I do know what I'm doing where, 
um, you know, six months ago or not even six months, like a few years ago, I would have said, no, I don't know anything. I just need to know more. But now you have to realize, no, I know more. I just need to apply it better. I need to shift my focus on where my work goes. Um, yeah. Like a better term. Yeah. But I want to pivot a little bit. I want to talk about, um, cause I I've had a few books floating in my mind, books that have changed your kind of outlook on work-life balance, or um, I guess just had a big influence on where you see yourself in your journey. Yep. I don't know if you have any that pop in your mind right away that you want to talk about, or I can talk about one or two bro, that I, I have. Bro, I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Perfect. No, but, but, but for real, I only listen to audiobooks now, uh, except for textbooks. Sure, but the ones that you listen to then. Yeah. So literate doctor. <laughs> The illiterate doctor. There we go. Bro, I, bro, I just don't have time to sit down and read. I, I, something with words on page, I don't have time for. Dude, I, I think words on page, uh, I mean, for me personally, are about 500 times more valuable than words I listen to. Like, if I'm listening to an audiobook, I'll understand, appreciate, and accept it in the moment. But then it's out the other side. If I read something on a page, I more am more likely to genuinely appreciate it and apply it you know, six months from now. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. And that's actually, that's, that is one of my goals is to get back to actually like reading, reading books, not just audio digesting them. New year, um, new me. Hashtag. I know new year, new me, all the, all the murders, all the debt, all gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually one of, one of the books that I've listened to, it made a huge impact on me. I thought it's even better than it, going to the personal help section. Um, it's even better than the book he's known for, which is, uh, start your why or find your why is leaders eat last by Simon Sinek. It was, it's a book based around how to be a cultural leader, what good leadership looks like, how to lead, lead, not just from the front, but also from the back being able to be a follower and a leader. Um, and it, it does a lot of like deep dives into like why Southwest is so why, why Southwest airlines is so popular. And so I guess so successful, mm-hmm. like it's one of the only airlines that was able to get through this without getting a loan. Um, talking about COVID why the Marines do certain things, why the leaders eat last and why like you shouldn't be above everybody else. That's a big problem I've had in my life is that like, I try to lead from the front. I try to be a good, I, I always try to be a good example, but when I see somebody behind me, I always like, well, what the fuck? Why aren't you doing this? And I don't, I don't recognize that their goals aren't necessarily my goals. And it's, it's hard for me when, when their goals aren't my goals. And that's something that this book has helped me with. It's like, you need to meet people where they're at. You can't expect people to be where you're at. And it, it helps make a, it helps you realize like making a good culture, making a good family environment, making a good area for people to be able to talk about their goals, but also come to one common goal is going to get you through everything, yeah. right? Being able to have everybody on the same page and be, be a culture is going to be what makes business, life, families, groups, organizations successful, not just having a good leader that has a good vision. No, and I, I think that's extremely valuable. I haven't read the book personally, but I see where it would be very applicable to almost like almost coach leaders into, you know, what's important and why, because for a long time in my life, I, I was the, you know, the quiet, strong type of leader lead by example. That was kind of my mantra. Like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to be the captain that tells the freshman to mop the mats. I'm going to go mop the mats. And then if they're with it, they'll come in and help, but that's not enough in a lot of cases. Like you, you have to create the culture. You have to take the, the leading from the front um, aspect as well and incorporate those things. So, um, but no, that, I mean, sad which, is, my list. 
which is why we work so well together. Cause you were leading yeah. by, you were leading from the back and I was leading from the front. So we, when we combined, it was good. Yeah. I think that, <laughs> I think that's very true because a lot of times you get a leader that's really good at one or really good at the other, but yeah. uh, it takes a special person to, to get good at both. And I think that's that foundational reading step might be a good first step. Um, uh, can I go into the other one and then we'll absolutely. let you go ahead. Yeah, All right. Absolutely. The other one that the other one uh, for the business people out there, uh, whether a- any business, but it helped me a lot with, with how we kind of structure building a fighter is it's called rocket fuel. So it's a business-based book based around um, there's two different pe- personality types. There's the integrators of the world. They're really, really good at scheduling. They're really, really good at at day-to-day operations. They're really good at keeping people on tasks and keeping themselves on tasks and getting shit done. And then there's the visionaries. And this is not to say that visionaries can't also be integrators. Integrators can't also be visionaries. But typically, for the most part, you're going to be more of one than the other compared to your partner. And this is another reason why I think me and you work really well is that like, I am so far on the fucking right of, of the visionary where like, I have all these big things and I never know how to apply them ever. I'm like, what's, <laughs> what's the actual first step here? Let's, I know. let's actually I'm, do something. I'm like, all right, we're going to make 17 courses in 2021 and we're going <laughs> to talk to the president and all right, Alex, you figure out how to do all of this. And you're like, all right, Dick. Like, <laughs> what's the first step? How do we get there? Yeah. Um, but but that book's helped me a lot. Realize bringing it back to work life balance and, and understanding that is while while everybody strives to be both, it's okay to be one or the other. I always feel like like at the beginning of my business and beginning of building a fighter and beginning of like like all of these ideas, like I always have to be both of those hats. And you do to a little extent, but it's helped me realize that I can rely on other people. I can trust other people that are better at different things. I can delegate different things and and we can break up responsibilities. It doesn't have to just be me being the visionary and the integrator. If, if there's somebody better at a job than me, why the fuck am I doing that job? Why, why, why am I doing something at my 100%, which is Alex's 50%. That doesn't make sense. And and not even that you're better than them at it, but if they can get it done to a, a, a high standard and you don't have to spend your time doing it, that's worth the right. trade-off as well, you know, at times. Right. It's one of those things like, is, is, exactly. It's, is my time better spent elsewhere? Yes yeah. or no. Yeah, most, I, most of the time was like the, like that type of stuff. Like there's a reason mm-hmm. why you hire an accountant and you don't do your own taxes. Absolutely. I, I saw a post recently by Pete Dupuy, who is uh, Eric Cressy's business yeah. partner and more business oh, yeah. guy. And his tweet said, if you're a micromanager who knows that they can do everything better than anyone else, and so you choose to do everything, you have no right complaining about work-life balance. Yep. So it's like, if you can't delegate and you're putting everything on yourself, that's also your decision. Yeah. And, and after reading that book in particular, I got a lot better at delegating certain things. I, I don't know why that book clicked with me so well. And it, it, the author's name's escaping me. Um, so I'm sorry, but it's called Rocket Fuel. Uh, it's for some reason it clicked really, really well where it was, it was one of those things that I was like, well, I need to let go of some shit. I need to take away some responsibilities. And maybe honestly, maybe that's why I feel like I'm not overworked because I've delegated so many things. I've delegated out my, my taxes. I've delegated out all of my graphic design. I've delegated out a lot of my marketing. Um, and it's, it's freed me up to do the things that I'm really fucking good at, which is treating athletes, training athletes, and connecting with athletes on a one-to-one basis. The author is Gino Wickman. 
Yes. Yeah. And Mark Winters. Um, but no, I think that's great. Sorry, I was looking that up. Um, no, you're good. So yeah, and I mean, I, I'm just floating in my head too. And I was kind of looking at in my bookshelf what I've, I've read and had a huge um, turn on my work-life balance. I think the first one, and I don't know if this stuck in my head because it was really the, the first work-life balance book that I read or the one that stuck with me was The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. <laughs> I, I mean, Lisa, read, Lisa read that. I, I think it's a great book. It, it helped me because... I realized when I was younger, I was, I cared so much about what people thought about the perception of, of everybody else's life and, and this and that. And it helped open my eyes that like great people, you know, for lack of a better term, recklessly pursue what they're the best at and they do what they're going to do regardless of what other people think. Right. And so um, that helped almost free me to pursue what I wanted and to um, not give a fuck about what's going on in the world and what, how people are going to see it because it's my life and I'm doing what's, what's best for me. So um, seeing that, and then it also, there's uh, a few nice, like um, just psychological um, tricks that he outlines and goes through. Like one I remember is like the feedback loop from hell is uh, one where like, and the example that he is, is like, I get angry because this thing didn't go my way. And then I'm angry at myself because I got angry. And it's like, why the fuck do I get so angry? And then, and then it just spirals out of control like that. And I, I was almost that way with a little bit of anxiety. But um, that book for me helped just free myself up and um, let allowed myself to pursue different things that you know I didn't have to necessarily justify. Yeah. No, I, I've never read that book, but Lisa loved it, and I love I love the first. The, I love all what you're saying, but I love the first thing you're saying where like great people don't give a fuck what other mm. people are thinking. Like people all the time tell me I'm crazy for working with combat athletes, you know, just purely instead of working with like football and baseball, yeah. it's not, it's not like a can't, it's just, I'm passionate about working with combat athletes. And I like, I, I truly, 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 truly do not give a flying fuck what those people are saying. <laughs> and and quite honestly, it's, it's shaped a lot of my personal life too. It's like, you know, I'm going to make decisions based on what I think is best for my family and what I think is best for me. And I'm not going to just continue to fit the mold and conform to conform. Like, I think that's right. something that a lot of people base their decisions in. Um, so exactly like what you're saying, it's like, I am going to be the best at what I do and, you know, fuck you for not believing in me. Like that's essentially how I started to look at things. And uh, I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of other. Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've been there for a while. I've been there for a while. Um, but no, I think there's a lot more value in that book. And that's one that I almost read every year. I've read it two or three times by now, but um, a lot of empowerment from that book. Um, the other one or another one <clears throat> that I read almost every year, I've read at least four or five times and it's served as big inspiration for me is the alchemist. Dude, fucking Paolo. love that book. I know that's, that's one thing that me and you strike a chord on like the, it just outlines such life journey. You know, there's moral heuristics through every, you know, adventure that uh, the main character goes on. And it, it's, it's so well put together for a um, God, there's a word for the type of, story that it is but i can't think but it's inspired me you know if I, I one of my life goals is to write a book and i want to write a book like that i want to write a book that you know molds my passion for getting better and my passion for learning and and acquiring new skills and being on a grand adventure that also marries with my excitement and my interest in fiction and fantasy and, and all those because if you get to know me that's something i'm i'm really passionate about is is 
uh, mythology and different creative endeavors. So if I can find somewhere that I can blend my strength coach, um, you know, morality as well as this fictional universe that I have, it's like, that's, that's it right there. Dude, that book, it's every, it's forever will be my favorite book. Yeah. Outside of just the lessons, it was just a good fucking story. Yeah, like it's, it's great lessons. There's a, there's a reason why I truly believe every single person in high school reads that will should get gets required to read that book. And then some people just skim cliff notes and those are the dumb people. <laughs> um, you laugh. I'm not, I'm not joking. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but like, there's a reason why it's required. It's a required read. It's, it's a great story story, a lot of great literary elements, but on top of all of that, you learn through the book, you learn journeys through the book. If you actually mm-hmm. read between the lines, which as you should, if you're reading fiction, trying to get to what the author is saying, it's one of the best written books possibly ever. Yeah, top of my list, man. Like uh, I totally agree. Um, And last one, I know we're getting pretty long here, but um, last one that is just huge for perspective and a a more meta analysis. And this person has gone through a huge life struggle and has come out on the other end. And and I think we're all more lucky and more fortunate that Viktor Frankl wrote *Man's Search for Meaning*. I think that's Mm -hmm. a huge book to to put life in perspective, to genuinely understand you know, what's your place and what, what can you actually do with your time here on earth? I think that's, um, and what you can, you as a person can endure, like if you're not in it and you're not enduring, willing to endure a 60 hour work week, cause that's hell. Like this man went through fucking, yeah. you know, Nazi Germany, like as yep. a Jew. And it's like, I think it, it, again, just puts things in perspective to what your human is capable of doing. And if you're willing to sacrifice and hold on to your, your, um, ideas and your, purpose yeah i haven't i can't say that i actually read all of that i know i've i know i started it at one point mm-hmm. um but yeah so i think i think those i mean i think that's a good list of books and of of things that have just changed my perspective yeah but yeah just at my takeaway message from work-life balance is don't ever stop trying to be special but you got to know what you want to be special at yeah i mean i think if some people spend their whole life figuring that out and like that's not a problem either but um but yeah be where you're at and just hundred percent be there. And then if you can identify what you're doing and genuinely feel good about justifying it, then I think you're in the right space. Yeah. Well, that's our meta episode of building a fighter. Uh, this one was for us. So, yeah. uh, if you guys have any questions, want to talk about anything like that, this is something like we said that me and Alex have talked about a lot, just trying to get this business launched as well as just we're best friends. So we Being have humans, these talks. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I'm, we're, I'm sure he, as well as I are more than happy to talk with y'all. Um, if you guys got any question or if you guys got any questions at all, our stuff's going to be in the show notes. So both our Instagram handle and our email, um, as always <laughs> like subscribe, share, do all the fun stuff that gets us to more people. And, This is Building a Fighter. This is Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And we are out. Mm